as we uh, seek you um, and your truth, as we come to see, um, Lord, what you would say to us today. I pray that your spirit would be with us. I pray that um, you would open the eyes of our hearts um, to know you and to, and to see um, the thing that you want to say to us today. We acknowledge your presence here and um, we acknowledge that your presence is powerful and that um, you, know, you can make a difference and you can bring transformation and you can actually change the, the things that are happening in our lives and you can change us. And you can make us like your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, this is the thing we commit ourselves to now as we come to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a seat if you haven't already. I want to welcome you here. It's great to have you with us. And, um, yeah, I just think it's probably a good thing as well to um, pause for a moment. We need to pray for the Ballantyne family. Um, Michael is supposed to be doing sound today, but Emily last night was experiencing some pain and had to go to um, they had to go to the ER suspected um, appendicitis um, they had a blood test and the blood test results came back good last night but they're back there this morning for a CT scan and ongoing tests and I haven't heard yet what the results are of that so let's pause for a moment and pray for the Ballantine family and family uh, Lord we're going to Thank you for the Ballantine family. Thank you for, um, yeah, your, your love for them, for the things that, um, yeah, you're doing in their lives, God. We just want to pause now and, and lift up Emily to you and just say, um, God, would you protect her? Would you heal her? Would you remove the pain? Would you give the doctors and, and nurses tending to her um, wisdom as they seek to figure out what the issue is, that even now she'd know your presence um, that you'd be standing with her um, in, in whatever situation she's in now in the hospital. And we want to pray for Michael and Sarah as well. Just pray for your, um, yeah, your peace in their hearts, Lord, as they um, see their, their girl going through this uh, difficult time and just ask for your grace to be with them. And um, what a good thing that we can be praying for them. Pray for, um, yeah, for all the other kids as well, that they would know your peace in this time too, that, that there would be no worry knowing that you're, uh, you're at work in this situation. And so we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Yes, I want to um, yeah, thank those as well who came to the working bee yesterday. Great to have the grounds looking pretty, pretty smart at the moment. And, um, yeah, that's a good thing. So thanks for that. But now we should get into the Word, and um, we're going to be opening up to Ecclesiastes again today, chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles there, open up. Um, but we're moving on in our Ecclesiastes series. <clears throat> You'll note that we've skipped over a few chapters since my last sermon, but the reason for that is because we've been um, looking at all of these different pursuits that the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes takes to find meaning in life, and, one, and um, we've had to skip over a couple of chapters to find the next one. So we're sort of covering those first, then we'll go back. Um, that's the way I'm, I'm managing it anyway. And so what he's been doing this whole time, he's been trying to find out, how do I find meaning to this life that we're living, you know, on the earth? How do we find meaning to this, all the stuff that happens under the sun? How can I find meaning to life? And that's a pretty big question, and... Um, and admittedly, it's a pretty uh, pessimistic view that he takes upon, um, upon his pursuits. 
But nonetheless, he starts out in the first chapter telling us everything is meaningless. <laughs> There's not one thing that really gives this life meaning. That's kind of what he, what he says. And this word meaningless that we exchange, um, you know, in, in our language for the Hebrew word, it, the Hebrew word they're using is hevel, hevel. And, it's, and I've talked about this many times, but I want to keep reminding you because it's such a core theme of the book of Ecclesiastes. Hevel, this word hevel means, means meaningless in our language, but it can also mean things that are futile, things that are absurd, things that are empty, um, things that are frustrating, things that um, are temporary and fleeting. He says life is like one big puff of smoke, you know, to illustrate that, that word. It's like a big puff of smoke or steam, you know, and just when you think, oh, there's something that'll have meaning, there's something that'll give me purpose, you grab a hold of it and it, and it vanishes from within your hand. That's the best way to describe that word and it's, and it's said about 40 times in, in this book. And so it's a big theme. He's just basically saying from a very pessimistic view, everything under the sun in this life just seems like that. It's just like there's not much to it. And so he's pursued, um, you know, all sorts of things, but we've looked at a few of them um, that he talks about in depth. The first one was wisdom, right? After introducing this idea, he says, hey, I, I tried to find meaning to life in wisdom. And even in pursuing wisdom, he says, um, even that pursuit just seemed to be hevel, right? We looked at that. The second thing he did was he tried the pursuit of pleasure. You know, maybe pleasure is the answer, but of course, the, that pursuit was hevel as well. It was smoke. We last looked at the pursuit of finding meaning in work and toil and labour, and this is probably a pretty core identity of of the Australian um, people, you know, we love to we love hard work. You know, it makes us feel like we've got something done. You know, work and toil and labour. And he says, no, that's actually not it either. That's that's hevel, right? It's meaningless. And so we're going to move on to the last focus that he talks about. Um, you know, along these lines, he goes into depth um, into a few different things. And the last one he says is maybe, just maybe, I can find meaning in the pursuit of riches the pursuit of wealth and, and gain, you know, possessions. Maybe wealth is, is the answer, just a little bit more money. Then maybe I'd be truly happy. <laughs> you know, I can't blame him for thinking that could be the answer too. The other day I was driving through the city and on a billboard, one of the flashy billboards that are changing all the time, I saw an ad for the Powerball Lotto, you know, and the jackpot was $50 million. <laughs> and, and admittedly I found myself... Um, you know, just sort of going off in this little fantasy world for a moment thinking, wow, $50 million, wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> you know, I wonder what I would start to spend $50 million on. Where would, I, where would I live? What would I do with all of that money? What would I buy? You know, what holiday houses would I buy? And, you know, all of this sort of fantasy land thinking started to, started to come upon me. And I wonder, have you ever done the same? My brother and I always used to say, man, if I had a million dollars, you know, and we'd do these sorts of conversations and, and uh, challenge each other on what would be the best thing to do if we had so much money. And it's a pretty nice thought to have, but today, unfortunately, <laughs> we're going to find that this teacher of Ecclesiastes has a little challenge to our fantasy land, and he says, in all of your dreams and desires of winning the jackpot, you know, pursuing money, 
the get rich or die trying mantra. He says um, in Ecclesiastes 5, he's, he just gives us a few things to think about and consider. He kind of, he, he, and you can see where this is heading. He's going to say, look, guys, that's not the answer to life. You know, as good as it would be, it's not the, it's not the point. It's not, it's not even worth pursuing is what he says. That, that love of money, the pursuit of money, it's all hevel. So I'm telling you the answer right at the start. This is what he says in Ecclesiastes 5. We'll start at verse 10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. And this too is meaningless, right? This too is heaven. This too is smoke. This too is something that you won't be able to grab a hold of. The pursuit of money, the pursuit of wealth, loving wealth, this is going to lead to a life of meaninglessness. So there you go. He says it straight from the get-go. And the person, he says, the person who is stuck in this place of desiring for more and never really being happy with what they do have, and you don't need a lot of money to be this person, by the way, (laughs) There's a couple of things I wasn't sure of adding in, but this is an important point, right? The, the Bible doesn't necessarily say it, but you don't need a lot of money to, to love money. That's an important factor to, to hold on to. He goes on telling us a few reasons why he thinks this is. This is verses 11 through to 17, and we're going to work our way through them. Verse 11, in the NIV, I find it a little bit hard to understand, but I'll read it for you. He says, as goods increase, so as your goods increase, so do those who consume them. What benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? I looked up the New Living Translation just to get a different, different perspective on it. It says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. <laughs> ah, right, that's what he's saying. <laughs> the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. <laughs> you know, that's that, that whole meaningless thing we're talking about. The more you have, the more you'll be watching others spend your money. And in his pessimistic and despairing nature, he says, what good is it for you to watch others consume and spend your money? He's like, what good is that? That's surely, surely that's heaven. There's no meaning in that, right? Very annoying as well, yeah, sure. <laughs> he goes on to the next reason. Um, <laughs> I've never experienced it, so I don't know, but <laughs> no, joking. He goes on to the next reason in verse 12. The sleep of a labourer is sweet. The sleep of a labourer is sweet. Whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance, and this is not positive abundance, in, he, he's not saying this is like their, their good abundance, he's saying their full stomach, their greed, their hunger for more, permits them no sleep. Their abundance permits them no sleep. I imagine if I won $50 million, I probably wouldn't get much sleep, (laughs) you know, maybe for a little while. (laughs) It might keep me up at night. He seems to be telling us that he's seen many poor labourers, poor people go about life with little food and they get a good night's sleep every night. He's like, I've seen that. I see it all the time. They don't have a lot, but they, don't, they also don't have a lot keeping them up at night, right? But people who love money 
They're struggling to sleep because of their desires for more. And he says that way of life, that's surely heaven. That's not right. That's got to be just smoke, you know. Verses 13 and 14 is his next reason. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Have you ever seen those like extreme hoarders shows? <laughs> you know, and this person's just run down with all of this stuff. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. He's telling us here that the person who loves money and builds their life on that pursuit, get rich or die trying, they may accumulate and hoard many things, right? And they may have houses and rooms full of expensive items and many items, and in the end they can simply lose it all, maybe on a bad business deal, you know, (laughs) or some other misfortune. They get hurt and they can't enjoy what they have. You know, these type of things happen and, and, and the teacher is saying, man, you might end up with nothing left for, you, for even your children to inherit, you know, and he's saying he's seen this in his wisdom, in his, in his, in his looking at all of life, he's saying, I've seen this happen. And he's saying, surely that's not the meaning of life. Surely that's not the end result that anyone would want. Surely that's Hevel. Final reasoning is in verse 15 and 17. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. You know, it's, he's kind of like saying that realisation that you're not going to get away from the fact that everything you're working for in the end just, you know, it goes to nothing for you. And, and in the end, all their days, it just seems like darkness. That, that looms over them. There's this frustration. You can't take it with you. He's saying that's another reason to, to just say that yeah, that can't be the answer for life. This, this accruing, this accruing um, you know, possessions. And he asks that question, what did you gain? And that's probably a good question for us to ask ourselves. What are we gaining in the things that we're pursuing in our life? And what's worth toiling for? At this point, you know, we hit a pretty fairly depressing rock bottom place again, as we have been doing each week. Um, as we look at each of these things that he says are meaningless, he kind, of, he kind of wants us to get there, I think, to just really let it sink in. This is not it, guys. This is just going to lead to there. You know what I mean? That's what he wants us to do. But then he does sometimes give us a little bit of hope. And the following few verses here are, are just that. They kind of are going to springboard us into, you know, a bit of New Testament teaching, you know, the wider Christian worldview, because we know this guy's worldview is kind of neglecting God and his hope. You know, it's neglecting, um, neglecting a bit of that extra Christian worldview that we have the, the beauty of understanding, right? And so he's hit this point pretty down in the dumps. Now we're going to see what he says in verse 18. 
This is what I have observed to be good, right? Yeah, oh, thank you. Bit of, bit of, you know, good stuff in here. That it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labour under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. So that's a little bit about work, but obviously leading on in the conversation of riches. Verse 19, moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. He's saying there's a little bit of light, you know. There's a little bit of hope, guys. If God's given you possessions and wealth and the ability to enjoy them, and if you read on in in chapter 6, we're not going to do that, but if you read on in chapter 6, he talks about the person who's given wealth, given possessions, given all the desires of their heart and not the ability to enjoy it. You know, and he says, man, that's Hevel. So I'm just going to leave us in the hopeful point here, right? End of chapter 5, if God gives you wealth and possessions, and he's, and he's, I'm not, we're not talking about rich people, right? You know, rich, in, when I'm not talking about Jeff Bezos, right, or Elon Musk, I'm talking about us. He's given every one of us wealth. He's given every one of us possessions. And the thing that is really important for us to try and seek is the ability to enjoy what we have. You know, that's like a, that's like a really core thing is that contentment, you know, are we able to be satisfied with what God's given us and blessed us with? You know, even if it's a, even if it's a little bit. That, that to me is a challenging um, thing. <clears throat> Getting ahead of myself a little bit here. Okay, we're going to jump into a couple of New Testament scriptures, but a couple of things the f- that I wanted to just add in first is that the first thing um, that might be worth saying is that having money and possessions is not the problem, right? I want us to, I want to just, this is just coming from the general feel of Christian culture is obvious, is usually our uh, rich people are just so far from God. They're just, you know, wow, how could they be rich? You know, you shouldn't have rich stuff. How, how could you have more than one house? You don't need that. You know, this type of thinking can, um, can come across the church culture, certainly in, in, the, in the culture I grew up in. You know, so, you know, that's not really sacrificing your life for, for Jesus. You're not carrying your cross. You know, there's this. So what, what I'm trying to say is I want to alleviate us of that and say there's nothing wrong with having wealth and possessions and money. And I pray that all of us could have as much as, as, much as God would give us and bless us with. And that's a good thing, right? Um, and then there's like, but you also need to be a good steward and God desires for us to be generous and God might ask us to give it all away one day, <laughs> you know? And at that point, that's where, that's, that's, that's the difference, you know what I mean? And so there's nothing wrong with having all of the things, but it's, but it's who has your heart. Does your possessions and your wealth and your riches have, have your heart or, or does Jesus you know, and if he asked you to give it all up, would you be willing, right? And in, it's, it's in Matthew um, 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says uh, in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, right? Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money, right? And he's saying, you, <laughs> who has your heart? <laughs> 
Who has your heart? You know, elsewhere he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? My mum used to have that on, on the back of our toilet door. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's another thing, for, and it's a challenge, right? No matter how much money we have, you might have a little bit, and if God asks you to give it up, would you be able to? You know, not knowing where your next paycheck will come from, right? That's the challenge for us. We want to be Christians who would say, whatever you want, God, right? Whatever you want with my possessions, whatever you want with my wealth, I'm, I'm ready to give it to you. You ask me to give it up, it's yours. And it's that acknowledgement that God actually gave it to you. you could, sure, you worked for it. Sure, you earned it. You built, built all of your investments and did all of this, whatever, with your life. That's great. But who helped you wake up every morning? <laughs> who put the breath in your lungs? Who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you this life, you know? Who knit you together in your mother's womb? It's, it's God, you know? And so when we have that perspective about our money, that is the goal, I think. That's, that's it, being just open hands. I remember listening to um, Phil McCallum preach when I was at his church in America and he was preaching about generosity and he was, I remember him just doing this circle thing with his hands. He's like, God blesses us and we give it out. God blesses us and we give it out. And that's, this is the, like, that good Christian perspective of our money and our possessions. What we have is not ours, okay? And so let's keep going to some other uh, scriptures the other one I wanted to look at was more of what Jesus says, and it's in the parable of um, the sower of the seeds. And um, we've looked at this when we looked at pleasures, right? The pleasures of this life um, are one of the things that will choke us out, right? That's the thorny soil, the soil that had thorns in it. And there was another thing it said that there was three things, actually. It was, it was the worries of this life, the pleasures of this life, and the, the third thing was the riches of this life or another thorn, another weed that will choke us out, choke out our faith, choke out the word of God in us. And Jesus says it in Matthew 13, uh, verse 22. It's within that parable. You can read it there yourself, but I've just got the verse here. It says, The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. Right? So this is us. Right? The person who hears the word maybe has relationship with Jesus, takes, takes on faith, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So one of the surest ways, you know, of living an unfruitful life as a Christian is putting our faith in our wealth, you know, getting our stability and our foundation for life and our wealth and our riches and our possessions and the things we have. And, and this is very um, relevant for me at the moment. Jade and I, you know, we were just um, about to have a, our first house settle on Wednesday. We've just purchased our first house. Don't even know how it is possible that we were able to do that, but it's, it's happened. And I'm just like, wow, this is amazing. But you get, as soon as it happens, you get this feeling of like, oh, wonder what else, you know, wonder if we could get another, another house one day, you know what I mean? And this type of, you know, that, that deceitfulness of like, gee, that felt pretty good to be able to do that. Maybe we could, we could um, you know, keep, keep going, you know, establish our investment even more, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, if it happens, that'll be great. But the other side of this is, what if God asked me to give up everything that I have, you know, <laughs> would I be able to do that? You know, our friends Kirsten and Bot along, they gave up um, their house to move to Cambodia as missionaries. They've been here once, I think, 
It's one of our first Sundays here. Some of us may remember. They sold their house to go and be missionaries, right? And I just think, man, that's a lot of faith. You know, they, they've got their hearts where Jesus is, you know. <laughs> they've got their hearts where he wants them to be. And it's not about the things we have, the possessions, the money, that financial stability. That's not the foundation of their life. And it shouldn't be for us either, <laughs> right? And so I'm not saying we need to go and sell up all our things, but if God asks you to do that, you know, can we do it? You know, <laughs> you can see there's a whole bunch of balancing here, but it all, all comes down to where's your heart? Because that's, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't want us to be a church. I don't want to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus who lives an unfruitful life because I spend my time, you know, focused in on my money, focused in on how will I, how will I continue to establish, you know, my wealth and possessions in this life. You know, I want to have open hands and I want us to be a church with open hands, you know, generous, generous people ready to give at a moment's notice. This is surely one of the um, ways that we can be a fruitful church as well, is to be good stewards. There's one more passage I want to turn to before we make a response time, and um, it's 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's pretty hard when you talk about riches. I feel like we could do a whole series on money and wealth and stewardship. That'll be for another time. Um, but... It's hard to find like, gee, what passages am I going to talk about? Because this is a hot topic in the Old Testament and the New Testament, like money, possessions, wealth, it's all, all a big deal. But anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting at verse 6. This is Paul's words to Timothy. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money, the pursuit of money, the desire for more that takes over us. That's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Particularly this context is talking about some spiritual leaders in the church who were, you know, trying to make money for themselves, offer this, offer their faith and offer the teaching and, and their leadership. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Skipping down to verse 17, there it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Right? This is what I was saying. You can't put your hope in wealth, it's deceitful. You can't rely upon it. Of course we need it. I get we've all got bills to pay. We need it. You've got to be good stewards and you've got to work hard in this life. I get all of that. But that can't be, you know, our motivator for life. 
Do not put a wealth, hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but, put, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And, of course, there's that, that finishes that passage off with this idea of, you know, this life, the one we're living now, it's not, it's not, the, it's not the end. <laughs> you come to the end of your life, whatever results there's been, whatever successes there's been, whatever riches, whatever, thing, whatever possessions you've gained, that's kind of, it, it does become all smoke when you consider what's coming afterwards, you know. And he's saying, be rich in good deeds, be generous, lay up for yourselves a treasure in heaven. You know, you know all of those verses that talk more about that. So it's time to make a response to the word. And um, I wonder, you know, where would you say your heart is? Or where, 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 is, your, um, where is your treasure? <laughs> you know, where is your treasure? Where would you say your heart is today? Is it with God or is it with your wealth? Maybe God's asking you to give something up today. That might be the challenge for some of us. Maybe you're feeling, maybe he's been asking you for a while to give something up, to give, to give a gift or to give, um, you know, it doesn't even have to be time, it might, uh, sorry, money, it might be time or possessions. Is God asking you to give something up? And what is it and who is it for? aside from for him and your obedience to him. That might be a challenge for some of us. Um, some of us might need to, you know, we might not have much money, but we, we love money and we might need to actually trust God with where our next paycheck is coming from, you know. <laughs> might need to say, actually, God, I need you to intervene in something deeper here because although I don't have much, this really controls my life. You know, that might be you know, uh, something to ask God about and say, this is really difficult for me and I need your help and I want you to lift that burden of love for money, pursuit for riches, you know, desire for more and, and being sure that I can, you know, look after myself and be secure and just say, God, I want to find my security in you. You know, that might be a way to respond today. Um, a final way to respond would be um, just general thankfulness. Thank you, God. Everything I have comes from you. You know, everything I have, you gave me the ability to get up every day. You gave me this life. I'm thankful for it, God. You know, that's a way to respond. Just to say, this is actually all yours. And maybe just to say, God, whenever you want, you can have it. You know, some of us might want to say that. Whenever you want, God, you can have it. You can, I can, I can let this go if that's what you want. You know, maybe that might be a challenge for us to pray as well. There's some ideas for you. I wonder how God's been speaking to you today through the word. Um, let's, I just want to challenge you to respond and then the team can sing a final song with us. Lord, um, we, just, we just want to take a moment to respond to your word. It's so, such a challenging thing. Lord, so relevant for every single one of us. And um, 
Lord, we want to be a church that's generous, right? Not just to give to the ministry that's happening here, but just generous people, you know, ready and willing to give for, for anyone and, and, and anything. And we want to be good stewards of our finances as well, God. We want to be good stewards of the things that you've given us, not just for the ministry here, but for our whole life, God. We want to be thankful Christians, you know, overflowing with thankfulness, as Paul says in, in Colossians. We want that to be who we are. And, we want, and, and that takes acknowledging that everything we have comes from you, God. Even our ability to earn, our ability to work hard, our ability to, to get up every day, our ability to think well, it all comes from you and we praise you for that, God. And we want to we take a moment and say, I'm so glad you've, you've, you've given us this life. You've blessed us with this, God. I pray for those of us who, um, you know, we might not feel like we have much, but um, what we do have is really important to us to the point where maybe even more important than, um, you know, some of the things you're asking us to do, God. And I pray that you'd help us to let go, you know, of our, of our um, finances and just say we actually want to live in the economy of your kingdom. We want to we live in a way that honours you above all else. And so whatever it is, God, I pray that you'd help us, empower us by your grace. To, to do the thing you're asking us to do. And pray it in your precious name. Amen. Amen.